The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. All right, welcome to the Chronic Podcast. I'm your host, Ralph Marble. It's the beginning of the week, and goddammit, we only have one more football game to talk about as the Super Bowl happened. Uh, the Ravens won the one goddamn time in life that I needed San Francisco to win something. For me, they couldn't come through. Jim Harbaugh, I hate you even more, and I didn't think that was possible. It's Monday, so joining us, as always, Andrew Juge of the Saints Nation. Uh, Andrew, uh, Baltimore won, obviously, but we got to start with the blackout. <laughs> um, Twitter just went, just went apeshit. Uh, you know, that's what Twitter does. Um, I think the ridiculousness of like Pat Forty and Lupica and all these people saying the Super that the Louisiana and New Orleans isn't going to get a, another Super Bowl ever or in 20 years. I think that's it's just it's bullshit because look, stadiums has problems. Dallas they had ice falling and injure a person. I I think I think that's overblown. What's your feeling first of all on? Will the blackout affect New Orleans going forward before we even get into the game implications and stuff? Well, you know, I have to say, and, and I'm, I'm a little reluctant to even admit this, but in the pit of my stomach, you know, when I first noticed that uh, the lights went out, I immediately thought terrorist attack. And, uh, <laughs> that, that's like what really scared me. Yeah. You know, and I, I was like a week removed from seeing the most recent Batman because, you know, I have a kid oh, and yeah, I never go to the movies anymore, so any movie, like, new movie that's good, like, I see it on Netflix months later, and so <laughs> I literally just got the Batman, like, it just came out on Netflix, like, a, a week ago, and so Bane, like, destroying the Super Bowl was fresh in my mind, and so that that was my, the immediate gut reaction, so I, at first I was really scared, and then, you know, as time went by, I was like, okay, it's probably just a search thing. So then, you know, obviously I was bored out of my mind. So then I started reading my Twitter feed. And, um, it really was. I mean, Twitter was made for things like this. And, you know, it was, it was a beautiful combination of just, you know, totally out of character, totally horrible, bad taste, Katrina jokes. There was your outlandish comments by 40 and others who were like, you know, New Orleans should be you know, banished from the planet Earth and never allowed to have another Super Bowl, which which are both ridiculous. And um, obviously there was a lot of mocking Goodell, a lot of mocking Ray Lewis. And for me, that was the stuff that was really special. I mean, and I retweeted a bunch of them, but there's just on my time when there was just so many jokes and so many people ripping on that situation, just whether it was about Goodell or, or anyone. And uh, it, it just brought out everyone's best sense of humor, I thought. I mean, obviously, like I said, there were a couple of bad eggs, but overall, like, it, for me, it made the game a lot more entertaining because, it, especially at that point, it was kind of a blowout. So, uh, but as far as it affecting the world, I mean, you know, it was definitely bad, Ralph. I mean, I, I think the thing that was too bad was that it, things had really gone flawlessly yeah. up until that point. And I, I think the only negative thing I saw all week was Michelle Beadle, basically complaining about 
it, it being hard to get cabs. But, um, you know, it, it's going to be hard to get cabs in any city uh, with the Super Bowl. And, and uh, you know, public transportation is still going to be a bitch, you know, when, when that kind of event yeah. is coming on. And so, you know, and in New Orleans, you have the advantage of walking most places. So uh, it is what it is. But other than that, it really was the perfect week. And I think that's what's kind of disappointing is that, you know, you're so close. You're in the third quarter at that point. So you're so close to getting through the game, and then it's over. And New Orleans just comes out with shining colors. And um, that small moment, I think, put a little bit of a black mark on the week, but of what was otherwise amazing and perfect. So well, the thing you know, is, you... in New Orleans. I mean, but I mean, Goodell's already said it, and I think he means it. We're we're definitely getting the Super Bowl again, and I, I think that that's just a small blip on the radar was otherwise for New Orleans proved that they can absolutely handle it and that once again they there was a world class event and New Orleans came out with flying colors overall. Yeah, I mean the the thing that that's so you know, you you just think once the game starts, you're like you we're home free. Nothing there's nothing that can go wrong during the game. You know? Um and to me, the thing that I was most worried about was getting the streetcar line fixed and the airport the paved and the airport redone. Like, And they got all that done. Like, To me, that was the hard thing. You don't think, ah, the circuit yeah. breaker, the dome's going to trip. And, and I'll, I'll admit, Ralph, I was worried because you and I were home for – Oh, time. my God. If, if people listen to this podcast, you know that Ralph and I are both from New Orleans, but we don't live there anymore, and we go back as much as we can. But, um, you know – when I was there in December and, and you were there too, I mean, it was a train wreck. I know. Yeah. I was like, it's we're not both on each other. I, I have no idea how they're going to get it ready in time for the Super Bowl, and God bless them, they did. So, yeah. That's pretty impressive. It was. Um, you know, and I'll say this I think New York, if the Saints aren't in it, I hope it's like negative fucking 40. <laughs> Because to me, if if I'm a – and just forget uh, New Orleans, you know, hosting the Super Bowl and that. If I'm a fan of any team, I don't want to go to the cold of New York City when it might be my one chance to see my team in the Super Bowl and I may be lucky enough to get tickets. I want to go to – New Orleans. I want to go to Miami. I want to go to Tampa. I want to go to San Diego. I want to go to L.A. I don't want to go to New York and have to pay out the ass for everything and be in the freezing cold and for the game have to sit in the freezing cold. Yeah, I mean, that's who it's probably most miserable for as the fans. I mean, if you're a fan of the Bears or the Giants, whatever, maybe you're used to it, so it's maybe not as bad for those teams. But if you're if you're the Chargers or, or you're the the Saints, if you're a fan of the Saints or any, you know, Southern team with decent weather, would you even want to go to the Super Bowl? Would you even want to go to New York and sit through a sub-20 degree chill factor and, and suffer through that? I mean, I'd have to think about it long and hard, Ralph. I, really, I mean, honestly, you know, to be in for four hours to be in a stadium. It's bo- no, Andrew, it's longer than four. All those security you got to go through, buddy. Oh, yeah. it's going to be longer than that. It's going to be closer to. It's going to be closer to five. 
Yeah. And yeah. remember, it's I out mean, in the I, middle of it's out, it's out in the middle of nowhere. It's not like the Superdome where you can kind of go down there and you can hang and you can drink and you can do all kinds of fun stuff and then be like, oh, all right, we got to get in line. It's three and a half hours beforehand. And here's the, here's the thing about. And here's the thing about spending for a Super Bowl trip. If you're a fan, I mean, it's not just the tickets. You know, and best case scenario, you're looking at five hundred bucks a pop for tickets, but. You know, I almost went to the game because I had a a lead in the tickets and it ended up not working out, but the tickets to go home. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret, like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge or how it seems like you always get those hard to snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? (laughs) Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. This was, you know, about three weeks ago when I was looking. Um, To get into New Orleans for the weekend, it was anywhere from $700 to 1000 bucks, which I've never seen. I've never seen them that expensive. So, um, you know... But let's say let's say you get the cheap ones, you know that, that's seven hundred bucks right there. Then it was impossible to get hotels, and even if you could, the, most of them would would make you do a whole week. And if you were lucky, you found hotels that would just do three nights. But you weren't getting any night nightly rates. And on top of that, they hike up the rates. So you know you're, you're looking at at best six hundred dollars in rooms. So that puts you to thirteen hundred bucks. Best case scenario right there. And then when you put on top of that, either running cars or getting cabs, like some form of transportation, meals, um, you know, concessions at the game, which if you saw Dave Cariola's pictures, it was like 15 bucks for a beer and $18 for a hot dog or something ridiculous. So, you know, once you're done with the whole experience, you're out a couple grand at least. Best case scenario. Worst case scenario you're looking at a trip of about five grand, and that's for one per- that's for one person, Ralph. And now, when you add on top of all that, New York economy, New York prices, and 15 degree weather, dude, I don't know if I would want to go to that game. I would, you know what? If the Saints end up going, and you know they don't they don't give tickets to the regular season ticket holders like they used to do. They they did give you a big chunk back until about the mid-80s. Each fan base would get like a huge chunk. And, and the Super Bowl was actually, before it became this huge corporate event, it actually was kind of like a college bowl game where like the, the, the city needed the teams to sell the tickets. It wasn't a problem. I mean, fans were crazy to go. But it was really more like a regular bowl game than it is now. Now it's just all corporate. But I, I'm telling you, Andrew... If the Saints would go and we'd be season ticket holders and we would win, I would probably sell the tickets because going to New York, it would probably be about it probably be about ten grand for two people to go. Yeah, it would. And you know, I mean, here's the thing: 
it's a luck out and it's like 35 to 40 degrees and mostly sunny, you know, then, then it, it may turn out to be okay. But, um, you know, I live in Charlottesville and, and that's in Virginia and that's about six hours south of New York City. And I can tell you it's, it's cold as shit here right now. <laughs> and, uh, that's, that's six hours north of us. And, and the game ain't starting at, at, at the warmest part of the day. No, no. Hot, no, no. Uh, we're talking about, you know, 6 p.m. By the time the game ends, which is around 10 or 11, um, at that point, it, it's the deep freeze. And so, uh, I mean, it, 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 it's one of those days where it's kind of like 20-degree weather and it's snowing. and I mean, it, it could make for the most miserable day of someone's life. Really I think – I think – there is a 35% chance that it is a enormous clusterfuck in the NFL. They wouldn't come out and say it publicly to, to, to screw New York like that, but they'll be like, oh, no, never again. Because the problem that they're going to have is the, the, the game itself could be affected. And who, whatever network has the game, they don't want – 10 to 6 or 13 to 7, okay? People can say, ah, oh, I love defense, blah, blah, you, No, no. You only love defense when it's your team that has defense. It, you know, the Saints fans in the 90s were like, yeah, defense is how you do it, baby. Now, we don't give a shit about defense. We just want our defense not to be the worst of all time, you know? Yeah. Um, well, like you said, if it affects the outcome of the game – Look, the NFL loves making money off ticket sales. They love making money off concessions. They love making money off jerseys yeah. um, and all that stuff. I mean, there's all kinds of ways that they make money. But the TV contracts and the ratings are what they possibly care about the most. Mm-hmm. And uh, this, say what you will about the blackout, this was the most watched show in the history of television. So from that standpoint... They tweaked it back. It was number three. They tweaked it. It was it was number two behind last year's Super Bowl. They tweaked it in the afternoon. But oh, I I read that it was better than. Oh, Oh. I guess maybe it wasn't. I I had read read that it was, and then I read that it wasn't at like four thirty. Oh, oh, so they changed it. Okay, well, top two is still pretty good. So you know, obviously the ratings are great, but yeah, if it's a miserable game and the weather affects the game next year, um, and the ratings aren't as good, then. You know, we'll have to see. I mean, you know, if, if it's a good year and, and it's a good game, then, you know, I'm sure it'll be even better than New Orleans in terms of ratings. So we'll just have to wait and see. But it's a gamble. And that's the main thing. When you're when you're out half like the NFL is right now, I just don't really understand why you would take that gamble. It's not, to yeah. me, it's not worth it. I guess they, they did it as like a thing to New York to get the stadium built. But as for the actual game, Andrew um, – I thought Joe, Joe Flacco was just out of his mind in the first half. In the first uh, half, yeah. Uh, and, you know, I thought really – Colin Kaepernick, he wasn't terrible, but boy, in the red zone he was. They did, yeah. You know, and to me, the thing that sh- stood out most about Kaepernick was he – I think they still – acquire that skill because he's only started 10 what is it eight or 10 games but that that skill that tom brady and breeze has that anticipation skill like they like 49ers end of the game they tried to run a version of 
the Saints two-point play to Lance Moore. But Kaepernick didn't anticipate it, and he, wait, he, he threw when the guy was open. When you don't, throw the guy, you don't throw when you see the guy open, you throw on anticipation, and Drew Brees does it, and it looks so easy. You're like, man, you can never stop that play. But Colin Kaepernick was like three beats too late, and he just doesn't have the anticipation skills of a great quarterback. And I think that cost him big time. Especially in the red. Yeah. Well, we'll see. We'll see if it, how he develops. You know, I mean, obviously he just doesn't have the experience that Breeze has, but that's a perfect example of the difference between an elite quarterback and a decent one. And if you've played any level of football, you know, you know, you're taught that ball has got to be out before the receiver makes his break. Mm-hmm. And you know, if it's a good enough throw and a good enough play. The receiver, by the time he's turning turning into his route, you know, if he's running a curl route or out route, whatever, by the time he's turning, he sees the football coming to him. You know, it's not like yeah. you wait for him to look at you to throw it. You know, it's like when you're playing flag football and, and you haven't had any practices and you go out there for the first time, you're, you're never going to throw it out of receiver's break because you don't really know what route he's running. You don't really trust him. So you wait till he's looking at you to throw it at him. Well, you know, in football, when they have practice and, and you know, they, they train for these things, and the ball's got to be out before the receiver breaks. And, uh, you know, Lance Moore is one of the best at it. You know, he's one of the best at coming out of his break, boom, the ball's there, right in his hands as he turns, and, and he's got great hands, and, and he catches it. So um, the 49ers don't have that tandem yet. And, you know, he has such a great arm, and he has such great escapability um, that in between the 20s, He's always going to make big plays because of that. But, you know, you pointed to his struggles in the red zone, and, and that's part of it. It's just that he – then it becomes more about anticipation and getting the ball out and timing um, because you can't run around like crazy. There's just less space to operate in the red zone. Um, and so that's where the difference between the good and great comes in. Yeah, and, and also, too, I thought, uh, you know, San Francisco – I thought their defense, they had a hard time getting pressure because Justin Smith, he had the torn tricep. And look, he stunk. Ray Lewis, for all the talk about the deer deer antler spray and all that, he stunk too. He looked like a sixth linebacker getting abused. (laughs) You know? I mean, look, I mean – Ray Lewis is the the best. Yeah, I mean, look. One second to be glad about the fact that even though we didn't like either team, the Falcons were not in the Superdome. They weren't even in the game. They didn't win the Super Bowl. I just want to reiterate that. Exactly. It, good point, my friend. Uh, <laughs> and we and we sort of have had fun with you know the Saints' expense and other games where you just vent about just horrific coaching, situational football, end of games. Mm-hmm. And I just want to give it up to John Harbaugh because at the end of the game. Phil Simms was like, oh, you can't take a safety. Yeah, you can take a safety. He took the safety, which was absolutely the right call. Uh, yep. Second of all, I didn't know – they didn't say this, obviously, during the game because they couldn't have known or in the postgame, really. But during the timeout when he had his – right before they punted, John Harbaugh, who used to be a special teams coach, told his guys, like, hold. Under no circumstances does anybody get through. I don't care if it rains flags because – they get a holding penalty in the end zone. It's a safety anyway, and they don't take the they don't put seconds back on the clock 
even if you get a pick. Yeah, and, and if you get called for holding at the one, you get to run all that clock, and you get to rerun the play. Yeah. Potentially. So, I mean, it's just, yeah. it's just brilliant little details like that. And I would say, probably, Andrew, if you had to guess, how many coaches in the NFL do that at the end of the game? Not many, Ralph, not many. But here's the thing, Ralph. That stuff is elementary. Like, finally, finally this season, <laughs> we saw a coach in the, in, in the biggest stage, too. Maybe there's a reason he got there. But um, in the biggest stage, he managed the clock properly. And I, I don't even feel like we should be patting him on the back or saying, John Harbaugh, what a great coach. He did what every coach is supposed to do in that situation. But they I mean, can't. And the, the only reason we're praising him is because there's so many coaches that are idiots. And I still don't understand how it, it's so hard to understand what John Harbaugh did last night. I mean, that, to me, it's just simple X's and O's of football. But, you know, he instructed all his guys perfectly. They executed it to perfection. And that's that's how you close games, Ralph. And so many times this season we have seen teams screw the pooch in those situations, and the game's in the balance and they blow it. And uh, that, that was huge. I mean, that, you know, that, that, that's, that's, I wish I could say that I had seen that more often this season. Um, <laughs> but clearly John Harbaugh is the guy that gets it, and uh, that's probably why he is where he is right now. Yeah, um, before we get to some Saints stuff, which we, we will get to, I promise, uh, I'm going to say this right now. The commercials for the Super Bowl, Andrew, they jumped the shark. They've jumped the shark. It, it, it used to be this big, great thing, but now, I don't know if they're just ad people aren't as good, but the, the commercials were fucking terrible. And I'm going to say this, look, and look, I love when Janet Jackson's nipple popped out in the Super Bowl. I'm all about, I'm all about nudity and pornography and just nakedness. I love it. It's fantastic. But the GoDaddy ad was just fucking disgusting. <laughs> and and look, I'm a guy like whatever you want to do is fine with me. I don't judge, but it was just disgusting. And the the, the ad the, the ads in general were mediocre. I thought the Doritos ad with the goat and the Doritos ad with the guy with the wedding dress, those were kind of clever, but the rest of them were just blah. The farmer's ad about the Paul Harvey thing, well, that was all right, but overall, I have to give these ads a a D minus. You know, I remember in the 90s, it was the thing I probably looked the most forward to as a kid. Yeah, because um, the game was 50. Some of them were, they were just, they were so good, and, and I feel like they just keep getting worse and worse. Remember the Bud Bowl? Oh, my God, the Bud Bowl. That shit was like, people that, if you're old, if you're young, and you're like, what the, dude, go to YouTube and YouTube the Bud Bowl. That shit was the Bomb. I mean that. I was that was when the Saints, because you know, believe me, in the '90s when I and when I was a kid in the early '90s and in the late '80s, uh, the Saints weren't even sniffing the playoffs. So no, they were far, far from from making a big game. But so you know, there a lot of Super Bowls. There was these teams I didn't care about, and frankly, the Bud Bowl was what I was most excited about. You know, at halftime. Um, so uh, I missed the Bud Bowl, but. I just feel like at this point we've gotten to the end. I don't even want to glorify these commercials by rehashing them and talking about <laughs> some of them last time. I mean, it was just, it was so bad. And, and I just, I was sitting on the couch next to my wife and we were watching some of these and we we're both just looking at each other like, why? Like, why did that just happen? I don't understand 
I don't know if we, we run out of jokes, Ralph, or if the people that are creating these ads have just lost their sense of humor. Um, or I, I, I don't know, man. I, I'm, I'm at a loss for words. That doesn't I, you know, happen often. You know what it probably is, and I think uh, Drew McGarry, the brilliant writer for Deadspin and Esquire and all, he used to work in marketing. He says the thing is, when they do a Super Bowl ad – so many people have a say in it the, from the high up, the vice presidents. They don't really want to take a risk or do something, so they kind of get uh, bland. Um, but I, I don't know. It's just – Some of them were like the GoDaddy ad. I mean, some of them were taking too big of a risk too. Yeah. The thing it was like the perfect combination of either like so risky <laughs> that it just came out either offensive or stupid or or not risky enough. Yeah, it was. I just, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know what. I, I keep hoping that eventually that it, it'll, it'll, it'll turn around and it'll cycle back and they'll have have some great ads. Um, but we'll see. I, I don't know. It was just, it was just uh, the the ads were terrible. Uh, terrible. The, half, the halftime show, I liked it. My thing with the halftime show, Andrew, and you can call me old or whatever. I don't want to see these old washed-up rockers. The halftime show should never have anybody over the age of like 32, because that's, that that's demographic fair. is for the people that don't watch football. Get somebody young and hip. At least Beyonce is kind of young and hip. I know she she's playing songs from 2006 or whatever. But I much rather see her than Madonna or Tom Petty or fucking Paul McCartney or the, the, the who who was dead in Miami. I mean, at least they tried to get somebody young and reasonably uh, hip. Yeah, was the who the, the equivalent of the cardboard cutout? Uh, I, you know, the thing is that the, a cardboard cutout would never die uh, during a performance. <laughs> So, fair enough. Yeah, look, I, I thought Beyonce was kind of a weak call. I mean, single ladies and uh, uh, what was that other one? Oh, crazy, crazy in love. Those two are, are the only two songs I've ever really heard about from her. And I, mean, I sort of knew Halo, but not really. And th those hits were like seven and ten, nine years old. So. Um, I don't even – she's not even that relevant, I think. I mean, people still know Beyonce. She's still talking about I mean, she, she's an A or B lister, but um, I, I don't know. I, I just felt like that was a questionable call. But I, I've never really felt like uh, the, the Super Bowl is really uh, a, a showcase for a band, like a real band. I'm, I'm with you on that. Like, I feel like halftime should be more of a performance or entertainment. Yeah. So from that standpoint – um, I don't think it's really about music in that sense. Like, I don't think a live band, for example, The Who, I mean, or Tom Petty, like even a younger band, like cool rock bands right now, like Muse or or The Black Keys, like I don't even think that would be a good call just because um, it's almost too cool, you know, for the Super Bowl, like halftime. I, I feel like it, it, Beyonce is a, is a good call, I guess, but – it, it should, they should have even gone, like, further out and done, like, Katy Perry or something even more mainstream like Justin Timberlake. I mean, you might as well just go all out. Or or they they should have really uh, gone nuts and done uh, Psy with Gangnam Style. I mean, it might as well, like, just do that because, for me, like, halftime's kind of a farce anyway. So you might just, you know, you might as well just 
go all out. Go all out. Sell out to the man. I mean, why why get Beyonce if you could just get Justin Timberlake? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, don't know. I think Justin Timberlake is banned for like 15 years. Oh, that's right. Sorry, he was with just. Yeah, he already did it. That's right. So, you know, maybe you do Katy Perry, you know. Yeah, that would, I mean, I just think that the the halftime show is not for any it, it has nothing to do with it has nothing to do with football or anything at all. So, why not just not even like I would respect the NFL more if they had had Justin Bieber. Because at, <laughs> at least then they're like, "You know what?" The Super Bowl is not about football. You people that like football are going to watch anyway. We want the fifteen that we want the fifteen-year-old girl demographic. Justin Bieber's doing twenty minutes. I'd be like, eh, I get you. You just don't give a shit about regular football fans. Props to you. At least you're honest. You know, yeah. just like you say, just go the extra mile and just don't even pretend like it's 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 you know because it. Well. Ralph, the Super Bowl is not for guys like you and me. They they had us reeled in a long time ago. Like if we're watching week two of of the Saints versus the Cardinals, they already know they've got us, you know, hook, line, and sinker. You know, they're not worried about you and I watching the game. Yeah. What they're worried about is a 15-year-old girl who hasn't watched the game all season or the 65-year-old grandma who hasn't watched the game all season you know, they're twiddling their thumbs on Sunday night at 7 p.m., and they want them turning it to CBS and watching the Super Bowl. So, from that standpoint, I think Beaver would have been a great call. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm not saying I would have liked it. I'm just saying, like, from a business standpoint, you know, my favorite band is Stone Temple Pilots, but it, that would be the stupidest thing ever to put them on at halftime. You know, so they're, why would you want to appeal to me? Like, they, like I said, they've already got me. I'm already going to watch the Super Bowl, and they know that. Yeah. So, you know, from that standpoint, Beyonce, you know, I don't even know who likes Beyonce now, like 30-year-old women. I mean, who, who even likes Beyonce right now? Well, all I know is uh, my wife uh, is a wedding planner, and I think it's decreed by law in Houston that they <laughs> during the bouquet toss, they have to play single ladies, and my wife hates that song with the passion of a thousand sons. That's funny. Yeah, you know, uh, I'm, I'm in the wedding business as well. I book dances, <laughs> but um, so it, it's funny because the first dance songs are very cyclical. Um, but one song that was coming around, you remember when that Israel guy did Somewhere Over the Rainbow, that big heavy set Hawaiian guy? Oh yeah, like a YouTube sensation, <laughs> Somewhere Over the Rainbow, and he played it with a ukulele. Yeah. Well, for a while, every bride thought it was like really unique and, and outside of the box for, for that to be their first dance song. And so all these brides were doing it, and they were they thought they were so unique and clever to do this. And it's like, no, yeah, I've already seen about 150 brides beat you to the punch. Nice try, though. But anyway, that, that, that was one song where I was just like, yeah, that's not original. No. So people are probably like, God damn it, can they are they gonna talk about the Saints at all at any during this podcast? Yes we are. Um the first Saints related topic is look, Ed Reed, he had an interception and Twitter blew up as like his, his Ed Reed's post game interviews were great and it's like bring Ed Reed home. I was uh pushing that a a, a couple weeks ago. But look, here's the thing with Ed Reed is Yes, he's the same age as Darren Sharper was when he came to the Saints in 2009. 
But Andrew, in 2009, when they got Darren Sharper, they paid $1.5 million for him for a one-year deal. In NFL terms, that's practically playing for free. You know, that was yeah. no risk for the Saints at all. Like, Darren Sharper could have stunk it up in the preseason, the Saints could have said, bye-bye, and nothing. Ed Reed, if you want Ed Reed, you're going to have to make a – not a – crazy commitment, but you're going to have to make probably in the neighborhood of of a two-year commitment, probably about $11 million, and you're probably going to have to guarantee about six, seven, eight million, I would bet, if he has a bunch of suitors. We don't know. He may not have as many suitors as we think, but that's a serious commitment. Now, Darren Sharper had one great year, but broke down the second year and was nothing. So if you want to take the one-year gamble with Ed Reed and say, look, we can hit the home run just like we did with Darren Sharper, you have to acknowledge that the downside with Ed Reed is much, much greater than Darren Sharper because you could have a scenario where the Saints sign Ed Reed to a two-year, $12 million contract and guarantee him $7 million, and he be broken down and on injured reserve in October. I mean, he's breaking down. He's got a bad neck. He went out of the Super Bowl and came back in. His body is starting to betray him. So if you want Ed Reed, you're risking a lot. And my question to you is, are you willing to do that? I'm not willing to pay uh I'm not willing to pay heavy money um to get Ed Reed. I mean I, I think I would be willing to pay more than what they paid Sharper, but I don't know that they have that. Um but um, you know, I leave that up to Mickey Loomis. Whatever he thinks is, is the number they can afford, I, I think they they dangle that carrot at him. I mean, I definitely think they make a run at him. I, I think, you know, you say, look, uh, we'll give you two years for $5 million. You know, that, that's what we can afford. And, yeah. you know, he's from New Orleans. Yeah. And, you know, the Saints are a good team. So, you know, I, they're, they're a couple defensive playmakers away from being a Super Bowl contender. Well, I, think, I firmly believe that. And so – if Ed Reed is willing to go for that sales pitch, he still wants to play and he doesn't want to go back to the Ravens, then that's great. Um, but otherwise, no, I, you know, we're not going to throw a two-year, um, seventeen million or two-year, eleven million dollar deal at him. I just, I just think that would be dumb. Okay, well let's play the let's play the what if game and try to figure out because look, Ed Reed, he may or may not go back to Baltimore. I think it's fifty-fifty. We'll see. Uh, but yep. let's—he's not going. He's not going to Jacksonville. Okay, he's not going to the Raiders unless they, like you say, unless they pay him ridiculous money. Which, if Al Davis was, if Al Davis was still alive, it's very possible. But he's made enough money in his career. Yeah, he he doesn't need. Yeah, he he's not going to go to so the Raiders. No the, matter how much they pay, the teams that will will want him is limited. I would say New England. Bill Belichick is known to have a man crush on him. Uh, yeah. Denver, their secondary just got torched in a playoff game. They'll be involved. Um, I would think who who else? I would think Atlanta could be, depending on if William Moore would leave. They could. I mean, I think the Saints. I, I mean, I have to put the Saints as the number one contender to to the Ravens and the Patriots. I really think those are the top three suitors for Ed Reed. And the fact that he's from New Orleans um, bodes well in the Saints' favor. Um, I think the cap situation bodes very poorly in the Saints' favor. So, um, you know, based on that, I think it's a toss-up. But I think there's a solid 20 to 30 percent chance that he could end up as a Saint. Oh, that high? That you think? Well, I think it's like 50. I mean, I'd say it's like I'd say it's like 20, 10 percent chance he retires, maybe 20 percent chance Saints, 
20% chance Patriots and 50% chance Ravens. Yeah. I, yeah, I think there's a good chance they'll, they'll give him a decent um, contract to come back for a couple of years and he retires as a Raven. I think that's, that's probably the most likely scenario. Yeah, I mean, but I, I, what are the odds that the Saints make a make a what are the odds that the Saints make a move and it becomes public knowledge like Ed Reed's coming for a visit? Like, what do you think the odds of that happening are? Uh, well, I mean, the last couple of years, Ralph, the guys that have come in for a visit, the Saints have landed yeah. for the most part. You know, with maybe the exception of Randy Moss. You know, I mean, the guys that they've they've wanted, they've landed, and and uh, so I, I think coming to the Saints is an easier sell than ever. You yeah, know, I really do, and you know, especially with Sean Payton coming back well, now and everything. So, I mean, they're a well-run organization. So, uh, I think if Ed Reed comes in for a visit, if he's if he's even entertaining the idea, if he's coming down to New Orleans to meet with the team, and, and then then I, you know, I told you it was a twenty to thirty percent chance. Then I think it goes up to about fifty. Yeah, I mean, well, my question, I mean, not necessarily that he would make a visit, but, you know, teams, if if it's like, okay, Ed Reed is not going back to Baltimore, he's got visits scheduled with New England, the Saints, and Denver, and New England is the first stop. It doesn't necessarily mean that he'll even get to New Orleans, but by then, then you know, hey, the Saints are interested in Ed Reed, you know, if it, if it leaks out that he's thinking of thinking of coming on a visit or has a visit scheduled you know a lot of times players they schedule five visits but they only make one because a team like you say they get in the, they get in the building they don't let them leave till they sign the contract yeah well they're going to lose out in the bidding war but they'll win out in the home hometown discount so um i i just don't know where every heads up you know with with those things but um I don't know. I mean, you tell me, Ralph. What do you think? If if, if the Patriots and the Saints are offering him, um, if, let's say the Patriots offer him, you know, a decent chunk of change more than the Saints, you know, is, is he coming to the Saints for less money, or is he playing for the Patriots next year? I would say he probably would pay for the play for the Patriots, but the Patriots, they don't. The thing is, like the Patriots, they don't pay. Like the, the Patriots aren't going to break the, the Patriots don't break the bank for anybody. They're not going to break the bank. For, they're not going to break the bank for Ed Reed. And the thing is, maybe the being at home and and just the playing in the dome might be good for Ed Reed. You know? Yeah. I mean, that cold weather at the end of the year can't be good for a guy that's 34. Um. So I don't necessarily think I don't think necessarily that the Saints. We'll, we'll get out. And the more that I think about it, I don't think they'll get out bid because teams like New England and the Saints and Denver—they're so well run. They're not going to do something stupid to get at Reeds, you know. Sure. So I, I think I think it'll be I think it'll be I think it'll be really really interesting if. Baltimore decides to part ways with Ed Reed, and they have some salary cap issues. They've got they've got Anquan Bolden. They're they're gonna have to pay Flacco. Shit, he he might get more than Breeze now. I mean, yeah, he might get more than Breeze, but uh, you know, Ray Lewis coming off the books will help him. Yeah, uh, but yeah, no, they're they're gonna have to pay a huge money to Flacco, and they have to now. Yeah, I mean, so I mean, you you thought, I mean, if Drew Breeze, you know. Punched his ticket last year with his record-setting year. I mean, Joe Flacco did that and then took it to the next level because he's got the Lombardi Trophy and a Super Bowl MVP. Um, yep. 
The Saints still haven't hired a defensive coordinator. They still need to replace Aaron Cromer. Uh, here's my theory, Andrew. With the NFC, you got to go through San Francisco. Regardless of whether they won, they didn't win the Super Bowl, but they got the best roster top to bottom. And if you don't think, I mean, if you if you if you're somehow poo-pooing that, I think you're wearing your Hudak glasses or whatever. They have the best roster top to bottom. They have a quarterback that's going to run the pistol, run the read option. Is it going to be 100% of the time? No, but it's not going to go the way – it's not going to be a fad like Pete Prisco thinks. It's going to be a part of their offense. Same thing with the Redskins, RG3. He'll heal up. Look, are they going to run it less than they did this year? Probably. Is Seattle going to run it judicially – you know, not as much with Russell Wilson, but they'll still run it a good bit. Cam Newton, he's gigantic. He might be able to run it more than all of the guys I just mentioned. So my point is, the Saints, if you want to win and go deep in the playoffs and get to a Super Bowl, which is the goal for the Saints now, you've got to be at least competent against the pistol, against the read option. So to me, Andrew, that means... I think there's a better than 50-50 shot that Sean Payton's looking seriously towards college. That's a good point. Yeah. No. Uh, you know, and, and the, the beauty of college is um, that he doesn't have to pick these guys now. You know, it's not like the NFL teams where they're going to be set. I mean, uh, defensive coordinator of, of an NFL team is always going to be an upgrade over defensive coordinator of a college team. You know, that, that that's always going to be a uh, – a step up. So from that standpoint, he doesn't have to decide now. He doesn't. Now, granted, um, as has been the way of this podcast all season long, um, the minute we record something, <laughs> I'll check Twitter right now. Out, yeah, just, yeah, that's a good yeah. point. I'll check. Check before. Twitter right now because I'm sure they've just hired Mangini as we're talking, <laughs> and so you know we'll look like idiots um, when we make you know and when, when this uh, goes live but uh, never fail so that, that, that's that's my prediction basically we're talking about this now that they're probably putting pen to paper right now and man being hired so way to fail ralph it is it is um you know my and, and also too uh i would say andrew if they don't make the hire tuesday or wednesday then it to me that's another sign that they might be going college because Sean Payton would say, hey, I want to hire this guy. And the guy might say, hey, Sean, it's cool, but I, you got to you gotta do it after signing day. I can't, I can't, I can't screw up this, this class for the guy I'm working for, you know? And that, well, we've, we've, we've also heard that, uh, you know, he may be waiting until the end of the Super Bowl because we've also heard there's a couple of assistants on both staffs that yeah. could be good fits for the Saints. Yeah, I mean, for the 49ers, yeah, I mean they've got their their linebacker coach and they've got the second the secondary coach for Baltimore, which would be uh, a nice tie-in to if you want to bring Ed Reed along, you know. Yeah, and and both teams are on a three-four, so. Yeah, and the, 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 you know, and getting back to Ed Reed, look, uh, players they 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 downplay it, you know, ego and this and that, but you've got to think that there's some part of Ed Reed. That is like, you know what? I can go to New Orleans and it'll be my hometown. I can return and they will love me and I'll win the press conference and I'll get to soak up the limelight one last time. Whereas Baltimore, yeah, they'll be really happy when he resigns and they love him and he's he's a Hall of Fame player. But if he comes to New Orleans, that's 
front page of the paper if it's printing that day, uh, breaking in on WWL, dominating everything for a couple of days. And look, people, it's human nature, Andrew. We like the attention, you know. I, I so you know, I think I think that could be a draw as well. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, and I, I'm leaning. Look. I, I don't – I've decided – at first I was like, Eric Mangini, he's kind of fascinating because he's – I've decided, Andrew, I don't want a retread. I don't want Romeo Cornell. I don't want Mangini. I want a young guy that's under 35 that I've never heard of that's desperate to be a head coach that's got new and crazy ideas because I just think they've gone the, re, they've gone the retread higher with Greg Williams and Spagnolo. It's just – it's time for something different, and as a fan, I want something different. I don't want the same old name guy. Well, I mean, look, we hired Ditka as the name guy, as the head coach, and look how that worked. You know, Hazlitt was kind of, you know, he, he was kind of a hot assistant, so, I mean, that was more of a Peyton-type hire. And it kind of worked out for a year or two, and then it was a disaster. But, um, I mean, he worked out pretty well with Peyton, you know. This is a hot, young, assistant guy that, um, you know, is, crazy ideas and um, you just needed a chance and that sort of thing. So I'm with you. I, I don't want to hire Romeo Cornell. I don't want to hire Mangini. I mean, I, I'm kind of resigned to the fact that that, that may be what happens, but um, I definitely want to see a young assistant guy that's hungry, that's going to come in and, and is going to work, work his ass off and, and really try to um, take the lead by storm. That, that's what my hope is. So yeah, and I don't mind. I'm 100% like... with you on that. Yeah, and look, if if they hire some hotshot assistant like uh, the guy Dennis Allen, who he was a secondary coach for the Saints, but he was the defensive coordinator for Denver and got to Oakland. Cup. Look, if they hire some some guy and he's one and done, and after this, and you know, and the Saints win the Super Bowl, and and he's he goes and he's coaching, um, I don't know, whatever NFL team needs a fires their coach and need needs a coach. I'll, Pick a pick a team, you know, whatever. Uh, but uh, that's fine. Like, and it's like Sean Payton said in the Noel article today. If teams aren't calling about your coaches, that's a bad thing. You want teams. You want teams wanting the Saints coaches. You know, to me, the best case scenario for the Saints next year is they lose. They lose, they lose uh, Pete Carmichael, and they lose the defensive coordinator because that means they're at least back in the playoffs, probably even getting a bye, because that's when teams interview coaches and make hires. So yeah, I mean it's kind of interesting because you remember when the Patriots were at their best, um, you know, and obviously uh, Belichick didn't stay the whole time, but uh, you know that year where Charlie White was the offensive coordinator and Romeo Cornell was the defensive coordinator, um, and they both got high-profile jobs um, out of that stint. And both both of those coaches have fallen flat on their face um, as head coaches, and so um, now they're back to being coordinators. I mean, Cornell's probably not even going to be in the league next year if he doesn't go to the Saints. So, um, you know, they, it hasn't worked out for them as head coaches, but they were terrific assistants in that scheme under Belichick. And, uh, you know, the Patriots haven't really won since then. They haven't been as dominant, but um, they still remain relevant. They make the playoffs every year. They're they're still in the hunt. Um, so, you know, the Patriots have been fine, and, and I think that's, the Saints have a similar model. Like, they're, they're, they have their elite quarterback. They have their playmakers that, that make plays for that same quarterback on offense. 
Um, and so really now it just boils down to, uh, you know, you got to hope that, uh, that, uh, you know, that they, they continue to perform and that we stay in the playoffs. And you know, once you get into the playoffs, it's all a luck game anyway, like we said. So um, I, I'm not too worried about coaches coming and going, uh, but like you said, um, it's important for them to, even, even if they don't succeed at their next destination, like Dennis Allen's kind of um, really struggling in Oakland and, um, you know, even if they don't succeed, uh, the main thing is that they're sought after because um, that means you're being successful. All right. Final question, and then I'll let you get out of here. And I think we may actually argue back and forth on this one. Because Roger Goodell said, hey, Saints, you ain't getting the draft pick back. I really think with teams like New England and San Francisco and these teams with a ton of picks. And look, San Francisco's got 11 picks in this draft. They don't have 11 spots on their roster that college draft picks can make, I don't think. I think because of that, Andrew, I think it's absolutely imperative that the Saints trade down out of 15. Unless there's a defensive guy there that they just absolutely have to have, I think they're better off. I would rather the Saints, if you told me, look, the Saints are going to have the 33rd pick and the 50th pick, I would rather those two picks than the 15th pick. And because they lost the second round pick last year and they'll lose it this year. I think they need those extra they need extra picks because one you have a better chance of landing somebody the more picks you have and two, it's like you've said before, they need cheap labor to help with their salary cap situation. So I am I'll be almost disappointed if they don't make a deal to trade down. Now granted you need a partner to do it. But to me, Andrew, I think it's it's almost imperative that they try to trade down and get a second-round pick. I disagree. Um, I, I think the Saints, um, the cupboard is pretty bare in terms of elite talent defensively. And I think that if they find that guy at 15, that they feel like whether it's Mingo, whether it's um, uh, the dude from Texas, his name is escaping me, I don't know why the defense is in Texas, but um, or you know the Georgia linebacker um, Jarvis Jones. I mean, With whoever it is, Jarvis Jones and his and his trick neck. Yeah, yeah I mean, wh- whoever whoever their guy is at 15, if they feel like it's a guy that's a potential difference maker or a potential um, guy that's so talented that he could be a star at the next level, you pull the trigger. Period. I, I just think they really need at 15 to pick a defensive player, and they need to pick a guy that's going to come in that can start and be an elite player in the league. I mean, I, I think that that's what – for the Saints to be successful for the next few years, they really have to hit Yahtzee with this 15th pick and take a defender. I mean, tweeners that they're going to – you know, if you trade down and you get you stockpile on picks and you get tweeners um, anywhere from 32 to, to 47, you get a couple picks in there um, just to add depth. Um, that's not gonna. That's gonna throw a bandaid on on a gashing wound. You know, they, let, let's be serious about this. This is the worst defense in NFL history. Thirty second overall, worst ever in yards. You know, get, given up. It, it is a gashing wound, Ralph. Gashing wound. And you don't put a bandaid on a gashing wound. You know, you gotta sew it up. You know, you gotta let it heal. So. You know, he's getting a new defensive coordinator. He's changing the system. You know, to, to, to his credit, he's blowing it up. Um, but now it's about getting the talent. And I just don't think um, talent is going to be had if you're trading down. 
15 is a nice place to be. Um, by all accounts, you've got a couple teams that might reach for quarterback early in the draft to push some of that good defensive talent down yeah. in the draft. And, and this draft is very deep at edge rushers, um, and that's what the Saints need right now. So, well, let me let me ask you this, and then we'll get and then you can get out of here. If it comes to the point where it doesn't go, because this this draft is really heavy in offensive linemen and receivers and skill position. They don't have a court. They don't have elite quarterbacks, but they've got it's loaded on offense. Mm-hmm. So, but what happens if? All the elite defensive players are gone, and you pick it. Oh yeah, I mean, I, I think I think if if the Saints feel like their guy, if, if they're at risk of losing their guy because um, guys are going quicker, then then I think you think about trading up. You know, I think you think about giving your first next year Ooh. and moving up um, to to get your guy. But um, if you can stand ten out of fifteen and get your guy, then great. Um, but yeah. It, if you can't strike a deal and you're at 15 and all of a sudden all the guys you wanted are gone, um, that's the only scenario. If, if you don't feel like at that point a guy's falling to you that you trust could become an elite defensive player or fits your scheme or whatever, yes. At that point I'm trading down and, you know, just deciding the value is not there and, um, you know, just look, fight, living to see another day, stockpiling picks, and you get extra players out of it. Yeah, well, it'll be it'll we'll get into the draft a lot, but it, it's going to be really interesting to me to see about Barkevius Mingo for LSU because to me, he's a guy you could give me almost any scenario on him in three years, and I'd be like, yeah, that seems plausible. Like I could see him just being on the Saints and being just totally destroying people and being like a 12 to 15 sack guy or I could see him being a guy where you're like that dude is he's like Junior Gallette he's like he's he's just a guy and he's not you know he's not strong enough or whatever because his his body type and his skills are so freakish but they don't he's you know he's just a guy I, I, I I'm hot and cold on him Andrew some days I'm like we got to get him and he's the he's the he's the answer as Wang wrote so so eloquently in his Moose denied post sort of tongue in cheekly, um, but he's a guy I just I change my mind three times a day on. But he's the one that intrigues me the most, I think, of all of them. Well, he would fit nicely at outside linebacker in that three four. Um, so you know he, he's a guy that could potentially make sense for that. But um, we'll see. Yeah, I, I agree with you. It's, it's going to be tough. I mean, I think even if they take a risk, I think talent at this point. I mean, you know, you still want a guy that's going to fit your mold. And so I think high character and hardworking is still, yeah. you know, if, if you see red flags, the player seems lazy or the player yeah. has bad character issues or he got busted with pot or whatever, <laughs> um, then, then you don't take that kind of risk. But uh, I think if you have superior talent, for example, a guy like Akeem Hicks, you see a guy with superior talent with some question marks, maybe not in terms of, um, you know, uh, character but in terms of uh how raw he is you know an unde- undeveloped player technique wise or whatever um I, and that that that's what mingo is you know that's the type of player he is right now um I, that's the type of guy i'd like to see them take a risk on at this point all right andrew on that note my friend i will we will talk to you down the road go to saints nation people it's uh it's about that time where we start getting cranked up for free agency and then the draft and of course we'll have you covered on the podcast but go to saints nation check andrew out because uh, football season it never ends because what, what the hell we're gonna we're gonna talk about we're gonna talk about basketball or 
baseball fuck no we're, we're talking football for until until it's until it's august so andrew thanks for joining us and we'll talk to you a little bit later thanks man all right now joining us a new guest on the uh chronic podcast jason bernos of the rundown on blog talk radio and a featured reporter on bleacher report uh jason thanks for giving us some time we we found you on the twitters and the interwebs uh, you have a you have a nice little show there. You get actual guests that know things. We here just talk about our talk out of our ass and make things up. Um, so let's let's start because I haven't talked to you. Give me your impression of the 2012 Saints season and sort of the anger or whatever fans are feeling on on Bleacher Report and your show. Oh, there it's. <laughs> It's beyond disgust. He's, I mean, just with the the arrogance, the pompous ass attitude that he has, it's it's just embarrassing for the league. And and I've had, I know I wrote an open letter to Roger Goodell probably about a week after, right, a week before the Super Bowl, basically just saying, uh, make sure you have fun this time because unless you're invited back which won't happen, never step foot in the city again. You know, the interesting thing to me about the uh, the whole, one of the interesting things about the whole Goodell thing was the, uh, the thing with the second round draft pick, I, I felt like he was going to give it back to the Saints. And really, Maybe I just held my anger back and I was clinging to that, but when that didn't happen, it sort of drove my rage to another level. And to to me, of all the things I wrote this year, the one about Sean Payton when he when you know the the Saints they they fired the defensive coordinator and Sean Payton uh, and and uh, the and uh, the uh, Aaron Cromer, he left to go be offensive coordinator for the Bears. And I was like, look, if they don't hire a coach, the longer Sean Payton is suspended, the harder it is for them to find a replacement. The Saints, not only is, has Goodell screwed their 2012 season, he screwed 2013. And it was one of my most well-reacted columns that WWL have had in a while. And I just feel like the team is saying they want to get past it and all that, but the fans, we're never quite – I don't know – We'll get over it, I maybe, but we're never going to get past it. We're never going to forget it. And I just, I can't quite put my finger, Jason, on, on boil it down to just one thing. But I think it has something to do with Saints fans. We know deep in our soul that we may not see another quarterback like Drew Brees on the Saints the rest of the time we live, however long that's going to be. And to have one of his seasons just burned to it to the ground. I think that's what really is just driving this anger and the reason the fans just will not let it go. Well it's it's that and and just the blatant fact that he his attitude is he doesn't have to show <laughs> any evidence for whatever he does. He can do whatever he wants. He can turn this bounty scandal into a two-year penalty, which basically it is from a one-year penalty from with something that actually never was proven. So, and to your point about finding a coordinator and basically being handicapped 
during this whole searching thing, coaching searching process, <clears throat> Ray Horton was out there. Yeah. Ray Horton, if you wanted to change to the three four, Ray Horton is your guy. I mean, he would have been a perfect choice for the Saints, and he gets scooped up. Uh, I think he went to Cleveland. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it, it's just just like you said, handicapped and that, and I think it's it's. It's because Saints fans just haven't gotten the answers to the questions that they wanted to hear asked. They wanted to hear since Roger Goodell, right after he put the penalties down, he said, if the Saints front office complies during this whole process, then basically they can have the second round pick in 2013 reimbursed. Now, what has happened because the whole time, Gudella said they have complied. They have complied. What has happened in that time frame where they, they haven't done anything the commissioner said and we can't get the draft pick back? I mean, no, that's never been brought up as, as much as it's been talked about. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, my whole theory was, you know, this whole thing, it, it had a tinge of something between Goodell and Peyton being personal. You know, we can get, we can go for four hours and, and venture on what that is. But you brought up an interesting point about the defensive coordinator and, you know, where they're going to go. And I want to throw this at you. And I threw it at Andrew, who was on the podcast right before you. I threw it at him. My theory is... Jason, I think they might want to go with a guy with a strong college background. And my theory on it is this. You got the pistol coming. You got the, the, the read option. You got to face Cam Newton twice. If you want to go to the Super Bowl, let's be honest. San Francisco, they didn't win yesterday. But if you want to go to the Super Bowl in the NFC, you got to go through San Francisco. They've got the best, most complete roster in the NFC to me. And you've got RG3. And you got Russell Wilson. If your defense cannot at least be functional against the pistol and the spread option and the, the read option, all that, you're not going anywhere. So my theory is maybe the Saints will look to a guy in college. Yeah. And the two guys that had immediately came up to me out of college that has, that has uh, NFL experience, is Derek Mason, the assistant head coach and defensive coordinator at Stanford, mm-hmm. which basically they run an NFL program at Stanford. And Greg Madison at Michigan, that was the Ravens coordinator for I think about three or four years, that's in Michigan right now, and, and turned that defense around from Rich uh the abysmal one that was with Rich Rodriguez. Yeah, Greg Greg Ross, Greg Robinson. Oh my God, that defense was bad. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was awful. Um, but you know, it just—I think—and if you look at, I don't know how much you are interested in advanced football statistics, but Carolina really, the advanced football statistics said they were a ten-win team this year. So I just think—I don't think necessarily that all these teams are going to start running the, the pistol and the spread option because look, you still got to be able to throw the ball. But here's the thing. Even if a team runs it three, four, five times a game, Jason, if you get destroyed like the Saints did against Washington and Carolina, 
that swings the whole game. You've at least got to be able to functionally know what you're doing. And and to me, these recap, these retread coordinators, the Chrome, Cronell, Mangini, all these guys. Yeah, I don't think they know what they're doing. I don't think they I don't think they know how to stop the spread option. And it's not that they're it's just that they haven't had the experience with it. Now, we'll, we'll see, you know, but the hardest thing for me is if you if you if the Saints go and try to go to college, a guy in college is probably angling for a college head coaching job. And if he goes to the NFL, he may have to put that on hold or whatever. So it's going to be – I think it might be harder for them to get a top-notch college coordinator than a top-notch NFL coordinator, as strange as that may sound to people. Yeah, and the problem with my number one choice <laughs> out of college, Mason, is I think he'll probably be the heir apparent to David Shaw, which I know he signed an extension. I, I, I see David Shaw as, a, as an NFL coach like in that line of Harbaugh coming out and being a head coach, he's got that same same mentality to be successful. So, I mean, yeah, like you said, it's just tough when you're trying to look in the college ranks and you try to grab one that's had a little, at least a little bit of NFL experience. But, yeah, when they get down there, and they're going to look for their first college head coaching experience before they go up to another Basically a lateral move. I know it's going up in ranks, but a lateral move from defensive coordinator to defensive coordinator. Yeah, and I mean, like, you know, a lot of people say, well, go get Kirby Smart for Alabama. Well, Kirby Smart's probably making close to a million dollars. The Saints could pay him that, but is he thinking, I want to be an NFL head coach, or is he more likely, he's interviewed for college jobs, is he thinking, I want to be a college head coach. How does going to the Saints help me accomplish that? So I just think it's 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 a different kind of thing. And you know, I think I think a lot of pro teams, you know, they've made hires and such. But I really think either they're going to look to college coaches to hire, or they're going to start making, you know, that like uh, Bill Belichick would go to Oregon and talk to Chip Kelly and in- incorporate some of the spread offense. I think pro coaches are going to start going to college and saying, "Hey, you know, show me how to stop the read option. Show me how to stop the spread." I forget what team it was in Canada. But they got a defense. They got a coach in Canada. I want to say it might be, it might be BC. They totally can shut down the the, the spread option and the pistol. They got they have already had, they already had like four NFL coordinators go up there and like spend a week with the coach and and they're like show us even though it's Canada rules show us how you do that, you know. Um, we yeah on, uh, we. San Francisco's defensive line coach, Jim Tamsula, mm-hmm. when he was in NFL Europe, the two seasons that he was a defensive coordinator there, he had to deal with a couple of teams that ran a version of the pistol over there. So he has, I mean, as well as practicing against their offense over there, he had some good experience. And I really think it's going to be him that they pick because if you listen, when, when Sean Payton said after he declared that he was going to change to the 3-4. He says, we're going to take our time to get, you know. It, to me, when he says, we're going to take our time to find the next defensive coordinator, that meant to me that it's coming from either San Francisco or Baltimore because he said it after the championship games had uh, gone past. And it just seems to me that it's either going to be Tom Zula. 
I don't like Donatel at all. I, I, I'd rather his Ninja Turtle I had to stay away from New Orleans. <laughs> uh, or a, a name that a lot of people haven't really, I mean, mentioned, Terrell Austin, the secondary coach uh, for Baltimore. Yeah. I, he's been to two, uh, besides winning Paris one, he's been to two Super Bowls with Seattle in 05. Uh, Arizona in 08, and he's learned from some pretty legit head coaches. And I mean, I think he'd be a be a heck of a defensive coordinator as well. Well, to me, to me, Jason, I, the the Greg Williams hire. Look, everybody's negative on it now, but it got him a Super Bowl. The second year, the defense was actually better statistically than the first year. They played a lot of crummy quarterbacks, and that helped. But to me, I want, I would much rather them get a young hungry guy that wants to be a head coach, wants to move up, and wants to be sort of just as aggressive as Greg Williams, but just have a variety. The thing is with Greg Williams, Greg Williams had sort of one trick. He was a hammer. Everything was a nail. And when it worked great, they got a Super Bowl, but I don't think Greg Williams was the best at in-game adjustments. And to me, like you, like the guys you named, 90% of Saints fans, they don't know who those guys are. But to me, that's what I want. I just, I'm, I'm, I, I think they've gone the retread route with Spagnola, and I want something, I want something different. You know. And uh, in, in, in that vein, you'd probably like uh, Ken Norton Jr. from uh, from Seattle. Yeah. Assistant. He's been with Keith Carroll for probably about 10 years now from USC to Seattle, yeah. assistant head coach with USC, linebackers coach, and you see the talent coming out of USC at linebacker. Yeah. And then he just brings that intensity like a Michael a Mike Singletary. Yeah. But he's better with X and, X's and O's than Mike Singletary. Mike Singletary is more of a motivator, head coach, kind of, you know, distributor of, of, <clears throat> of work. And, and Norton Jr. is more of a, you know, hands-on. He's an energy guy like Carroll, but he he's really good with his X's and O's. And and he's got ex- he might not have experience right now because technically they run a four-three, but they do run a four-three like a three-four. Uh, very one one of the rare teams that do that in the league. And also from his playing days, he's had experience in a three-four. Yeah, I I think Ken Ken Norton is an interesting name. The, the the thing that's funny about uh, Mike Singletary is how bad of a coach was he? He basically had a ready-made championship team. Couldn't get him to nine wins. Yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I'm, I don't know. Man. It's just, it, I was just talking about that the other day. Like, I mean, he's got to have – he's got to deserve a little bit of credit because, I mean, obviously with Vernon Davis turned out to be – he had a heavy hand in, but just like you said, I, he just—I don't think he had good enough coordinators underneath him. Well, honestly, that's to succeed. Well, that's what I was going to say. I, when I, I was out there, I worked at the Mercury News for a couple of years, and th- that's the, the the thing that really sort of doomed him was he got hired and he brought in Norv Turner, and Norv Turner had actually got. Alex Smith pointed in the right direction. Mm-hmm. And then what happened was San Diego had that whole clusterfuck where they were going to bring they were going to bring Marty Schottenheimer back, 
But then Wade Phillips went went to Dallas, and and Cam Cameron went to Miami, and the general manager's like, eh, Marty, we're firing you. And and they they hired Norv, and it happened so late in the process that Singletary kind of got screwed, and his replacement for Norv wasn't nearly as good. I forget the guy's name, but he was basically terrible, and they fired him midway through the next year. And it yeah. basically blew all the progress up that they had made with Alex Smith, you know, and, and, and so that's, you know, an interesting uh, side topic as we get sidetracked off the saints. But uh, Jason, before I let you, let you get out of here, I want your thoughts on, I know you, you predicted who you think they're going to hire a defensive coordinator, but give me a prediction on Jermon Bushrod. Do you think he's going to be back and how, Active, do you think the Saints are going to m- manage to be in free agency? I don't. I, I don't think. I, I don't think Bushrod's going to be be back. But the Saints have shown that they're very loyal to their players. Mm-hmm. But it came out earlier today, or it's been rumored that the Saints are going to part ways with Bushrod. So, and in, in my opinion, it's, it's a good move because he's not worth the money that he's going to be asking for. But in free agency, you can never count Mickey Loomis out. It seems that every time he has $3 in the salary cap, <laughs> he ends up with Curtis Lawson. He ends up with the Darren Sproles. I mean, it, it's, I, I have stopped even looking at the salary cap now Anytime I look at free agency with Mickey Loomis. It, I don't know how he comes up with, with bunkly contracts and out of his ass. I, don't, I mean, I would like them to bring in Ed Reed. You know, it's you, you haven't had a ball hawking safety since since Darren Sharper was fully healthy yeah. for that one year. I mean, you haven't had one before that since Sammy Knight, really. I mean, it, it changes the whole dynamic of a defense, and and given that they want to basically come from, you know, they want a defense just like a Baltimore or a San Francisco, and if they do look at Terrell Austin. The secondary coach, that would be a win-win right there, bringing Ed Reed in. I was saying Jake Long, but now he's asking for like $10 million per year, and that's that's just not – that's outrageous even with Mickey's capology degree. <laughs> well, but, the thing, uh, yeah, well, the thing is with the Saints on offensive line, they have proven that they really are not almost worth a damn drafting defensive players, but they have proven yeah. – they can find offensive linemen in the draft on the second that's day. Also with, that's you know? also with Cromer, though. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think, I think the the loss of Cromer is a is a is is contribute to that, and we'll see. But I think, I think a lot of the players that they've identified, hopefully, is the scouting department. Now I know they've kind of missed on Charles Brown, but he isn't—he hasn't been terrible considering he was a you know the last pick in the second round. But my question, my last question to you, Jason, and then I'm going to let you get out of here. You've given us plenty of time today. Is Ed Reed? Everybody wants Ed Reed. You know, they're like get him. He's—he's he's 34 now. Darren Sharper was 34 to work out perfect. And look, it's not my money, so whatever. But but here's the scenario that I'm going to lay out to you. When they signed Darren Sharper, yes, they got one fantastic. Great year, hit the lottery, had the trophy. I bought the video. I have the T-shirt. But with Ed Reed, you're not going to get him for the veteran minimum like you got Darren Sharper. So if you sign Ed Reed, Jason, it's going to probably cost you 
two years, eleven million, probably six million guaranteed. And Ed Reed, as great as he is, let's be honest, he could break down completely at any moment. So mm-hmm. are are you willing to commit, say, eight million dollars guaranteed over two years to Ed Reed, knowing that it could completely blow up in your face and you get nothing out of it? Well, and, and to that extent, I was I posed questions like because uh, I was saying I didn't want a defensive coordinator that that was was going to be a one and done, you know, like a hot riser. Yeah. I wanted it just like that, but you know, uh, somebody brings it up. Whereas, if you can basically put all your eggs in one basket for another one year with a lot of talent and somebody that can really get everything out of it. Why not do it one and done? I mean, it seemed to work in basketball with Kentucky last year, right? Yeah. I mean, and then with Ed Reed, as far as also with the draft, like everybody questions Jarvis Jones with his injury, with his maybe his neck will fall off like Peyton <laughs> Manning did last year. I I would take six years of Jarvis Jones at the level he's been showing that he can play over just about anybody in the draft. I mean, if you can prep, like, Jason, like you said, Breeze has such a small window. Jason, I, I would mean, take Jason, I would take three years of Jarvis Jones at Georgia. Because yeah. if, if, you know what? If you get three, if you get three, say you get three double-digit awesome years from Jarvis Jones, that and a two other above average starters in free agency, I think he can win another Super Bowl. And if his neck falls mm-hmm. off in twenty what is it, twenty thirteen? If his neck falls off in twenty seventeen, it's a great ride. Oh, well. Whatever. <laughs> you know, I mean but th- th- that's the thing. You th- these moves that you talk about, well if you if you can get one year out of Ed Reed and if you can get th- these these are high risk moves. Yeah. And the only thing I say to you is look, if you want to make the high risk moves, then if the Saints do it don't bitch in November when they're both on IR and you crapped out. Right. I mean, it's, right. it's you know, and, and so, I definitely agree. you know, you have to look at the upside and you have to look at the downside. But Jason, thanks for giving us, I, I went way over what I set up. So you've given us plenty of time tonight. Tell the people where they can find you, uh, your great show. And people, he's got great, I mean, he's got Larry Holder. He's got fantastic guests on the NOLA Rundown. Tell them how they, tell them how they find you and on, on the Blog Talk Radio and Twitter, give all give all that information out for the peoples. Yeah, and we just had uh, Scott Shanley on last week uh, doing a little Goodell bashing and Falcons <laughs> bashing, so that's a really good listen to uh, to go here. But we're you can listen to the show at blogtalkradio.com uh, backslash Nola Rundown. Uh, catch on Twitter at uh, the Nola Rundown is the show's Twitter handle. My handle is at Burns twenty four seven, B E R N S two four seven. Just about it, and uh, catch my articles at Bleacher Report on the Saints page, uh, just on the right side. And that's about it, man. Great, Jason. Thanks for joining us. It was a great insight, great information. People, check him out. He's got, he's got, he's got it going on, Jason. Thanks for joining us, and we'll talk to you down the road. All right, thanks, man. Thanks for having me on. You're welcome.